Code white intake. Code white intake. Code white intake. Code white Once again, with Assault Precautions, my name is Isaac. I am a tech, and I feel like I've been a tech for, I don't know, 750 years, something like that. Time yeah. is dilated. I'm Jody, and I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for 113 years. 113? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Feels like longer. Still new. So, um, I guess uh, this week, you know, we, we spent a couple of weeks talking about, you know, anecdotal stories with patients and whatnot. But I think uh, this week we're going to go a little bit more uh, thematically. And uh, I think our theme this week is that we're going to talk about psychosis. And to be more specific, schizophrenia. Yeah. Schizoaffective, bipolar one. Because, like, you can't really diagnose a person with psychosis. It's more like a feature yeah, we see, you know, patients coming in that we label as this patient is experiencing some psychosis. Uh, but, you know, then it's really in to the psychiatrist and, you know, the DSM to sit and really make a right. psych evaluation and make a proper diagnosis. Right, which is way above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no kidding. I got coins in my pocket right now. You know, and you get good at seeing a patient and, and, you know, of course we all sit and go, oh, well, that patient is blank, especially when they're really psychotic and they're presenting some symptoms that we see, you know, fairly, um, commonly, but you never know. And it's always up to the psychiatrist to do that first psych evaluation and, and make a proper diagnosis. And it's like, um, sometimes it feels to me, it's a little bit narrow with the, uh, with the DSM because psychosis sometimes feels like it can, it can have so many features and they're so common in their features that it can be its own thing. However, right now in terms of, you know, the, the categorical imperative, it's not, it seems to just be a feature of multiple mental illnesses. But you know, what I think is really, um, unique about schizophrenia is there are some symptoms that present that don't present in other uh, diagnoses you know you don't have a uh, major depressive disorder um, that's responding to internal stimuli and, and having conversations which you know i know that i've spoken with you sometimes we call it bluetoothing <laughs> and you see some people walking down you know the street and they're having these conversations and they're just carrying on and carrying on and they're talking on their phones you know whether that's headphones or whatever that that feature may be these people don't have phones nope they're not talking to anyone well they're talking to someone well certainly we just can't see them <laughs> right but you know the feature that we see most commonly that we most and i think all of us would probably identify immediately is is schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder is responding to internal stimuli and that means generally you know you see these people that uh, are walking through the unit that are just, you know, they're withdrawn from their um, milieu activities. They're not really socializing with other peers, but they are having full-on conversations. Right. Uh, auditory hallucinations are the most common type of hallucinations. Yeah. When we when we say schizophrenia and we're talking about internal stimuli, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy five percent of that of that crowd is auditory. It's pretty only. high. Yeah. It's pretty high. It's it's rare to get you a schizophrenic who doesn't have those positive symptoms like that. Oh yeah. And when we're talking, you know, and I saw a, a recent TED talk about a girl that would see the uh, clown from it. Uh, the, she would see him all over the place. The the old it or the new it? No, the uh, well, I, she didn't specify, but she was a young girl, mm -hmm. so I just imagine it we was. We got to get a uh, new workup on her. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna need no specifics. I, I would think it would be the new it, and she it would be so common, and uh, you know those colors for her were red and white. It was a trigger point, and uh, she would see this clown, and sometimes it would be super invasive and really taunting, and 
you know, menacing to her. And at sometimes it would just be back in the corner of the room and not really interacting with her so much, but it was present. Right. Uh, I guess one of the first features, we've got some pretty loosely associated uh, notes here. We're going to, we're going to dance around them. It's going to be pretty disorganized, not unlike the patients that we're talking about. Yeah. And this week, I think uh, really uh, an interesting feature of this week's show is that we did completely independent research this week. I like it. I know it's it's interesting because you have no idea where I'm coming from this week, right? I never know where you're coming from, <laughs> but especially this week. Yeah, I mean, especially right now. We haven't shared anything. We just kind of set off in the schizophrenia topic, and we're like, "Hey, we should do a show on this because it's really prevalent." And uh, I, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. I want you to do your own thing, so it's really organic on air. So that when we're talking about it. There can be a lot of feedback and a lot of, uh, you know, I didn't know that, or that's an interesting point I hadn't considered before. I've got some things on here that when I wrote it down, it was like, Jody's going to like that. Andy's not going to know that. <laughs> I'm excited to hear where you're coming from, because I think we probably both approach this from different angles. Yep. I was super sciencey in this. For you guys that uh, have been following the show, you know, we did the last couple of weeks and they were really fun and we associated a lot of patient experiences and you know, a lot of it was funny and some of it was tragic and all of it was real. And we did a major depressive order on uh, some stuff that Robert Spolsky dropped. I think we're going to kind of revisit that little sciencey part of this uh, show if, this if week. If you're not revisiting science, you're not really working in this field. You, you know, it, true. Because yeah. there's just so much that if you don't, if you don't really know what you're looking for, you're going to miss it. Right. And you're going to just label it all as one bundle. And like I see a lot of new people come in that aren't really medically trained or haven't had any experience in psychiatric. And they just don't know what to make of any of it. It's a lot to take in, especially if you're not used to it. Um, it, it takes you some time to you know let it set in and get a little accustomed to it. So you start picking out the... The little details and subtleties. The finer details and yeah. subtleties, I think, is where it's at. One you... of the subtleties about a person experiencing psychosis is um, literal and concrete thinking. Yeah. Uh, not a complete inability, but it can be. But an overall inability to um, have any subtlety or metaphor or symbolism in your thinking. It's very concrete. So if I were to list you the three words, apples, oranges, and bananas, what do those three things have in common? Those are all flavors of Jolly Ranchers. That See? Very good. Usually, <laughs> you would say that they're fruit, right. and he is loosely associated to Jolly Rancher flavor. But what you would see with this literal and concrete thinking is... Uh, um, what do the three words apples, oranges, and bananas have in common? Well, they're all polysyllabic. See, the in not untrue. Not untrue. No, yeah, it's true. What are the What are the three words apples, oranges, and bananas have in common? Well, they all contain letters that are closed in their circular shapes. All have vowels. Yeah, it's not untrue. Not untrue. Yeah, but if you were to you know ask a person experiencing psychosis. What does the phrase loose lips sink ships mean? They would just, they would have a hard time. They would just be thinking about these aircraft carriers in the Pacific Ocean being sunk by these giant sets of lips. <laughs> right. It bring up some harrowing images. Right. Well, it's very literal for, you know, those guys. And, you know, I think we'll go through symptom sets and certainly we see cognition as being, you know, an issue for certainly the the chronic uh schizoaffectives and schizophrenics where we begin to see uh some limitation in their cognitive ability to be able to relate not only to you know uh reasoning but just the things that you and i take for granted every day you know our daily life our adls things we're going through and you know your brain's doing a lot of work for you well you would think you know, things that you don't really I mean, you come to a decision on, but your brain's really already there, and you're just recognizing that decision that's been made for you're you. You're giving my brain a lot of credit right now, and I don't know if I can accept it. Now you got a big brain, so... Yeah, it's that's from the encephalitis. <laughs> your functioning is very high level. <laughs> so so uh, another, I think the most common thing that we see externally, you know, you, you won't really see the literal concreteness until you sit down with this patient and dig in, but... Uh, 
internal stimuli, auditory and visual hallucinations, or or um, distortions and delusions in thought. Uh, auditory hallucinations are more common than visual hallucinations. Uh, but a interesting thing about the hallucinations is they're not disorganized. They're not just flashes of light and color and you know things melting off the walls. You would see if you were taking a whole lot of psilocybin and going on a spirit journey. Uh, they're organized, and especially with auditory hallucinations, they're typically, not always, but they're typically jeering and accusatory and unkind. I mean, you don't really see these guys walking around like, I'm having auditory hallucinations, but it's just playing White Zombies Astro Creep 2000 in my head on repeat all day long. No, you're going to hear um, things that are talking bad about you, trying to get you to do bad things, trying to get you to believe bad things. That's sort of a theme that runs in auditory hallucination. Speak to that. You know, I, I hear that a lot. And we talk about, you know, auditory hallucinations being menacing or even command in nature giving instruction or, you know, really beating up the patient. You're not smart. You're not good enough. You don't belong here. You should kill yourself. I hear, I hear that a lot from patients. And what I always wonder is... If, is if there are fully functional people that are walking around that are getting really positive messages that it's seem to know the not me. yeah that seem to know the answer to everything that seem to be on top of their game that are very proactive that are getting things done and but they're a little off you can tell but they're very functional and and I wonder if sometimes there is some level of this disorder that accompanies some of these people that we see every day that we work with that we that we know that may be receiving positive messages, you know, answering questions, helping them along um, in social situations. It, 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 I don't know. I just, I just had that feeling. And when I really started researching and started getting into nursing and started seeing a lot of patients that were, you know, I guess experiencing really negative symptoms and negative um, internal stimuli, it made me wonder if there was a whole subset of people that maybe not be experiencing some positive feedback. You know, I hadn't really put much thought into that, and I didn't come across that in the research. I didn't cast that wide of a net. I, I hadn't thought about that. You know, and I don't think you would, because it's just like a lot of bipolar people. And why do you, why can you never find both bipolar people in semi-manic syndromes? And I'll tell you why. It's because they're so busy kicking ass. They don't have time they to really be hospitalized. Are. Yeah, they really are. They're running Fortune 500 it's, companies. They're it's just, similar to the reason that we have very little... Uh, demographic data on sociopathy. Right. It's because they're CEOs. Yeah. They're, they're not coming into psych hospitals. Uh, they don't need yeah, to. They're super they're successful. They're it up. Yeah. They're just fine. kicking ass everywhere. They're yeah. just, they're, they're seeing challenges. They're just overcoming everything. They're super positive. They're, you see them in leadership. Oftentimes they're, they're leading others. They're so... Uh, I feel like I've been led by a few psychotic people a few times. <laughs> yeah. They're yes. convincing. They, well, they certainly are. And I think there's a proclivity for that particular disorder that can be a positive influence on others. Uh, we don't look at it as a, you know, as a sickness or a disorder. We certainly don't treat it. But we could recognize in certain individuals that have those traits that may be weird about a few other things, but we discount it because they're so successful and, and they just have this really magnetic personality. There's capitalism for you. <laughs> right. Welcome to America. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so uh, uh, among the most common auditory and visual hallucinations and delusions, uh, you, you want to guess what the most common uh, auditory hallucination is? The source? You know, from my experience, I'm going to say it's either angels or demons. Jesus. Is it Jesus? It's really? very close. Yeah. A, in, the, in the ballpark there. Jesus is the most common. And then runner up, very close second. Who is that? <sighs> I don't know. Tell me. That'd be the devil. Yeah. Okay. So see, I mean, we're right there with hyper-religious hyper uh, mm -hmm. religiosity. Is that a word? Religiosity. Yeah, it's a word. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. I, dude, I see that all the time and mm -hmm. it's such a common theme yeah and then a very close third is heads of state or government so the current president or Deal. the one previous president cia fbi kgb that kind of thing i'll, I'll tell you a funny story about that and listen to this i like it's, it 
freaked me out. I'm ready. We had a patient, and this was a previous uh, job I had at State Hospital. This guy was chronic, uh, had been hospitalized several times. He was in the hospital for a couple of years, swore he was deep state, swore he was black ops, CIA, just the worst, deepest shit that you can imagine. You can't prove he's not. Well, here's the thing. Listen to this. So he had phone numbers of people. <laughs> like other people. No, like CIA people. Really? And you could call and they would people we had people from the CIA come to the come to the campus. Oh my god. And they're like, Where'd you get that number? Yeah. Who 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 gave you that? What's who your address? This? Literally. Wow. So here we are thinking this guy's super delusional and, you know, super out there on this government conspiracy stuff. And, you know, of course, he's making these claims of, you know, I, I used to do this in the CIA and I've, you know, I've, I was on a scrub unit and I've, I've performed assassinations. And we're like, of course you have. I'm not sure he hadn't. Uh, you know, you're making a pretty good case for it. it. There were things that he knew that he shouldn't have known. No kidding. Yeah, literally. It was, it was creepy. He got transferred out about two months later. Mm-hmm. Very mysteriously, people that's, don't get transferred off that unit. That's pretty suspect. It was very suspect, and the way that he went and no disclosure of discharge location. Just it was the whole thing was weird. Weird. He's running some Central African country right now, <laughs> dude. I don't know where that guy's at. Yeah, there's no telling. But you know, it it does it does lend a little bit to when we have these patients like this, and you're hearing these really outlandish stories that you immediately discount. Maybe not all of them. I don't, I don't know. That's true. Yeah. It's, sometimes some will slip through. I, I, I do remember a story where uh, we had a patient, a recurring patient that was, uh, you know, we knew him pretty well. And he came in and he was insisting that he was not himself. He was his own twin. Interesting. You, al- you already know where yeah, this is I, going. Yes. So, you know, we were charting that we had delusions that we were not ourself we were our own twin these sort of depersonalization derationalization stuff that you see in like did and the trauma scale and stuff like that uh until we talked to mom turns out they are twins and we actually have the twin this time and not the guy that we're used to oh i i know exactly who you're talking about whoops sorry that's not a delusion well, you really are a twin. I came, My bad. Yeah, I came under the unit, and he was there, and he introduced himself. I was like, no, that's, that's not who you are. That's not who you you're are. You're the tw- you're the other one. Come uh, on. But he makes a convincing story, and and it's convincing because it's true. It, it, exactly. <laughs> so I go and pull his chart, and I'll be damned if he wasn't telling me the truth. Yeah, sure as shit. But you know that case is so interesting because I mean they have the same inflection. They are identical. I mean just a monozygote. And I mean, the speech disorders there, the behaviors there, the same cowlick in the front of his hairs there. I mean, just <laughs> the same as same syndrome, super hyper religious, super just everything that the the sibling was mm-hmm. was this guy. God, and he's like, oh no, you, twin study. Yeah, no, you know my brother. Yeah, this is I'm not him. I'm blank. Yeah. No, come on. First that's, couple of days we were like, ah, that's a delusion. Turns out, whoops. Unbelievable. Not and, a delusion, really a twin. My but bad. you know, in schizophrenia and monozygotes, it's 50% chance. If one has it, the other one does. Yeah, I, I was going to write down the name of the gene that is a genetic marker for schizophrenia, but I didn't write it down. Well, you know, they have it narrowed down to probably a dozen. And if we look at the different schizoaffective disorders between... Um, True schizophrenia unspecified where, you know, we're just not sure you're, you're so symptomatic and you're having these issues and you're recurrent to the depressed type. They have different, I guess what you would call, um, symptom subsets. Mm -hmm. And they find that between these 12 genes, three or four are active in this, you know, say the depressed type subset and they're all active pretty much across the board in just the unspecified responding to internal stimuli to where we're chronic and we're degrading and where we see a uh, loss in neural uh, synapse where we're actually losing uh, gray matter 
And and that's true in schizophrenia. You you look at people that are and, and you know we're saying we start maybe um, late adolescence, you know, sixteen to eighteen, and then we really turn on twenty to twenty five. And you know it was surprising to me to see some of these cases that you know, we treat and we keep under medication for a year, and then we pull the medication off to kind of see where they're at. And some of them really resolve about thirty percent of the cases. Um, That's a pretty high number. It really is. Thirty's high. Uh, unless you're not a statistician, then you're like, 30 is not very high. Wait till you get, wait till you take college statistics and you're like, 30 is astonishing. 30 is astonishing. Man. I, I get, I get freaked out when anything is above 2%. Yeah. Because that's a lot of people. Well, you know, in that 30% vein, and there's something really disturbing at the end, and I'll share it with you and, and the rest of the crowd. 30% uh, kind of comes in, they have an initial onset, they receive treatment. And while that symptom may be kind of lingering outside of their medication window, when they are finally pulled off, they're still very functional. And they go through, and you probably know some people like this, they're a little bit off, but they're interesting and they're fun. They probably, you know, maybe some of the funnest people to be around. I know this one guy uh, that basically fits the description, and he's in my bathroom mirror. <laughs> <laughs> then you have another subset of those who... They come in, they kind of bounce in between uh, functional and symptomatic, but there is a slow decline in cognitive function. So, you know, they turn on maybe at 20 and, you know, they, they maybe they're hospitalized a few times. They, they lose management, but there's a slow decline, but they're still probably functional on some level. And you see those guys out there and maybe they're, um, you know, maybe they're not super um, successful in all the things that they try to do, but they're still managing. Maybe they have families and children and all those things, and, and they find certain things that they're good at, and they kind of bounce around that, and everything's fine. Then you have another 30% that's really chronic, and they're degrading from first onset all the way through. It's difficult to manage. Uh, they're not really functional. They generally, you know, are disabled. They need at us. Some point. Yeah, they need As us. psychiatric hospital workers, they from need From time us. to time, yeah. And they need medication adjustments, and, you know, they're flipping back and forth between symptomology and being able to function, but... You know, if you look at CT scans of someone uh, in between their very first onset and that later stage, and we'll say we find someone at 20 and, and we're still looking at them at 50, you'll see, you know, the ventricles are enlarged, uh, the space around the skull is is increased, they're, they're losing, you know, they're losing function, they're actually losing tissue. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. I do want to point out, I know that you guys can't see Jody right now, but I can see him. Uh, He's drawing all of this up from memory. He took no notes, and he is sitting in front of no paper. Zero notes. Nope. He is is just recalling all of this from memory. So he's in his manic face right now. (laughs) Yeah. So we've done 30% and 30% and 30%. Where's the last 10%, Isaac? Catatonic? No, unfortunately, these are suicide completers. Yeah, uh, you it's, know, and then and that segues into something that I have written on my piece of paper because I'm not as successful as Jody. Um, Jody, do you want to guess the percentage of positive diagnoses for schizophrenia who have attempted suicide? Who have just attempted? Attempted, not completed. Not completed attempted. I don't know. I'd say probably 30 or 40%. 51. 51%. 51% have That's attempted incredible. suicide. Yeah. It's, it's astonishing. 51% is more than one out of every two. It literally is. Yeah. And it's, it's scary. And it's because, it, you know, and in the 1950s, 60s, and a little bit into the 70s, uh, psychiatric care sort of started to adopt this... Uh, ridiculous doctrine that maybe schizophrenia is a blessing. Hmm. Yeah. Tell me more. It it was a real thing. Uh, You know, some papers come out, some people read the papers that inspires their own papers. And, you know, you know how science walks around. We write some papers until we, you know, whittle down what's really is fact. And um, 
we used to think that schizophrenia was a blessing, maybe that they had a perception about reality that we weren't able to have, but then these statistics start to float to the top where more than one out of every two people attempt suicide. And any of you guys that are listening long after the 1970s that have worked with even one schizophrenic patient, there is nothing convenient or blessed about their condition, period. Yeah, you know, I um, we see those patients, and they bounce in and out of the unit. And I know that you and I, and we've had units of, you know, 15, 20 people. And it's common for us to have at least three or four. Um, but I think at one time we were talking about eight. And the designation that a lot of our uh, MHTs or mental health technicians do that do the Q15s on the, on the patients where they're documenting, you know, behavior and location you know, you have to document what are, th- what are these guys doing and where are they at? And there's a certain code that we use is 14, which is disorganized. I think, uh, I think ours is a little different. I think it's a letter and I think it's the letter G. G. Yeah. No, it's D. D. Okay. It's D because the, uh, the location is a number and the behavior code is a letter. And you guys are all familiar with that. Your client observations, your Q15s, you know, uh, we need a behavior, we need a location. But, yeah. For so Jody, 14 is disorganized. For me, letter G or D something is disorganized. And I'm sure you guys have your own designation and how your particular hospital I'm system I'm sure you works. guys have your own disorganization. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have disorganization That's there. True. Just what are they coding it as? That's true. So I know that you did some research on some statistics this week for us, Isaac. And, and, and I know that everyone's interested. Give us a little bit more of that. You know, it, it as those of us that that are not involved in this line of work, those of us that are just the, for lack of a better term, finger quotes, layperson, when you think of somebody who is schizophrenic or psychotic, you think of somebody who is potentially dangerous at any moment they could fucking go postal. Yeah. or anything like that you're you're wary of them you know if you you don't work in a psych hospital you're not accustomed to these guys and you, you know you just work at amazon or target or something we bring up target every week we really pick on them a lot poor target poor target uh you see them at the gas station and they're out talking to a fence post or something like that you get a little worried well, I think it looks dangerous to the average person because person it's not a, it's not behavior that you, you identify with. Right. You know? Well, you would hope not. So you think it's, you know, if they're doing this, then, you know, potentially they're, they're capable of anything. Right. So there's this really large study that was done and then repeated multiple times. And that's how you get good science is you repeat the study and see what kind of findings you have float to the top. Uh, Jody, do you want to guess the percentage of people that are psychotic that commit a violent crime against others. Ooh, you know, against other people, I'm going to say that schizophrenic and, and true schizophrenia is probably, I don't know, 10, 12%. You're so wrong, sir. How wrong am I? Point eight. See, that makes sense. I mean, when you say, <clears throat> you say 0.8% of the entire schizophrenic population, mm-hmm. you know, I see those people probably as being victimized a thousand times more than, right. than actually committing Because they're compromised. They really are. Yeah. And they're taken advantage of in and most when situations. You, when you stack up these kind of people to, uh, and very loosely I'm using this term, regular people... They're way less likely to exhibit violent behavior to those around them. Now, you'll have your ones pop through, and those are the ones that you remember. Your John Wayne Gacy's, your H.H. Holmes, your, uh, 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 what's the name of the gentleman in Austin? U.T. Oh, Sniper. the Tower, Tower Sniper? Yeah. Charles Whitman. There you go. There you go. And there's extenuating circumstances there. There was a, there was a whole tumor situation. Uh, but usually... You never see these guys harming those around them. And I can and I can tell you, you know, working units for years and years and years, uh, when I have a person who is acutely psychotic, I'm not worried about them hurting me. I'm worried about them hurting themselves. Right. Because that's that's where the that's the big difference. Point eight towards people around them 
51% towards themselves. You know, I'll make the delineation here in schizophrenia because, you know, some of the positive symptoms and the top two positive symptoms for schizophrenia are delusion and hallucination. When we see patients that are not necessarily experiencing internal stimuli, hard hallucination, but when they do have delusion, Mm -hmm. those are generally the dangerous patients because you're you're now attacking some belief system that they have or you're infringing upon um, something that they hold hard and true, which is false. And certainly in that first day or two, uh, or day three even, you're not doing any reality orientation with that patient. What would be the point? Right. It's, it's going to go unheard, and it really is mm-hmm. triggering, and it can be potentially dangerous. But when you have patients that are experiencing internal stimuli, you're going to find that those patients are very withdrawn. They're not going to socialize with other people. They just can't even manage themselves, much less manage a social environment. Because it's hard. Well, it, it's incredibly difficult. There's already so much stimulus for them, mm-hmm. and much of it is negative, as we discussed earlier. It's menacing. It's command in nature. Uh, it's it's beating them up. It's it's calling everything out for them. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to be around other people. They don't. They they believe it. You know, they're buying off on this. You're ugly. You're dumb. You don't deserve it. So they don't want to be around other people because they don't feel like they're they're worthy of presenting themselves as who they are and because they're not. They're it not. really is an uphill battle. It's horrible. Because like we were talking about earlier, you don't typically get positive affirmations in your hallucinations and you don't typically get Astro Creep 2000 by White Zombie, which might be one of the greatest <laughs> rock and roll records in American music. That is a good record. If I could hallucinate and listen to Astro Creep 2000 all day, I'd be okay. Did you see that tour? No. See, the thing, uh, Jody's about 17 years older than me. Shut up. So, well, look. Man. So, listen, that, that, that tour, I'll tell you, it was it was so zombie. And, and if you guys have, are, I mean, familiar with any of his movies, the way that he did this tour is for about 40 minutes before the show started, mm-hmm. the lights just continually dimmed at a rate that you didn't recognize. Still and you does just, it. As yeah. Rob Zombie. Yeah, you just you don't even notice it's happening and there's candelabras on the on the stage and there's a creepy ass story that's coming over the speakers and it's it's not really discernible. It's not turned up the way it should be if you really wanted to listen. And it's just this whole experience that you don't even understand as part of the show that's happening before the show. It's not even happening, it's happening to you. <laughs> yeah. I think that's well said. Because that that show was crazy good. And out the original, and, and of course, I'm I'm certainly older than Isaac, yeah, but I saw that original tour and it was just phenomenal. If we could host a second podcast about rock and roll music, I think we'd do okay. So anyway, that was our caveat into White Zombie. I love that album. It's one of the best records ever. It's probably one of their best records ever. You know, a lot sure. of people swear by Los Exorcisto. Nah. That's the one where it's at for me. It was, it was the second one. It was too tangential. I mean, the... Uh, Astro Creep was just, it flowed. The whole thing flowed like just a good movie. It was uniform. It was. Yeah. All, all hail praise Rob Zombie. Um, so getting back into schizophrenia, which is not very loosely uh, associated with Rob Zombie. <laughs> if you've ever seen a Rob Zombie or White Zombie show or movie. What's your favorite Rob Zombie movie? Favorite Rob Zombie movie. Ooh. I know, right? He's had some weird-ass movies. The Devil's Rejects is tied with Lords of Salem. For Lords me. of Salem for me. That was cerebral. It's so weird. That was God. super David Lynch. It was. Yeah. That 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 end scene with marriage and the priest masturbating and just all that. If, just so if weird. David Lynch directed The Shining, that movie <laughs> would be called Lords of Salem. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen Lords of Salem, you have to check it out. It's just, it it's out. so weird. We're I mean, gonna get a, we're gonna get a lawsuit for mentioning Rob Zombie's name. I'm sure it's intellectual property. Probably 17 times by now. But Sherry carries that movie, and she just oh, it's, it's just so weird. Such a good movie. So uh, you know, going back into schizophrenia, um, you you don't typically see, and and I think we covered it last week uh, loosely and off the cuff about uh, pediatrics having psychosis. You almost never see it. It's super rare. Diamond in the rough kind of stuff. Um, The average adult onset for psychosis and or schizophrenia, because the numbers kind of line up on top of each other, 
uh, is age 20 for males, age 22 for females. Because, you know, that prefrontal cortex is still developing until you're, yeah. what, age 24? Yeah, it? you have three major brain stages, you know, and they're about seven years apart. So I think we see schizophrenia begin to present in late, late adolescence, you know, 16 right. to 18. Um, no psychiatrist is willing to make a diagnosis at that point. I don't know that you can, given the constraints of the DSM-4 and 5. You really can't. And there's so many different things going on hormonally and, and uh, socially with these people that, I mean, certainly some of it is different than others and it stands out. But, you know, finding a, a diagnosis for that in that age group, in that stage of development, it's very rare. Yeah. And segueing in, uh, I've got a story that I've been talking shit to Jody about for a couple of days uh, about adult onset. Now, now you don't usually see it just one day you're not psychotic and then one day you are psychotic. There's markers, there's warning signs, there's you know major depressive disorder in adolescence, blah, blah. But for all intents and purposes, we're just going to say loosely that it just hits you. You know, I think, and I've heard different stories along the way of people that, you know, in late adolescent stage begin to hear, you know, the TV's talking to me. It's not, it's not a general broadcast. It's, My TV it's, talks to me, Joey. It, it's specifically talking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. But you deal with it. You know, they, they get past it. They're like, you know, maybe they, they report the symptom for four to six months, maybe a year before they're like, you know, this, it's not stopping. It's getting Something's worse. off. Yeah. It's, it's not right. Yeah. And, and you can, you can even with these diagnoses of major depressive disorder and stuff like that, and through adolescence and you're, you know, med managed and that kind of thing, you can have your onset. And sometimes the onset can be in the middle of you building a career, which brings me to my favorite thing that I am going to share with Jody this week is that we have a, a postdoc in university of Columbia. Interesting. Mm -hmm. He okay. is third year in his clinical rotation. Okay. This guy's, this guy's third year. So probably what? So he's close to getting it done here. Yeah, he's I almost mean, done. Yeah, he's like got a lot of work done. 24, 25-ish. Wow. Yeah. Something like that. Well, he starts having these per pervasive, intrusive, delusional thoughts that the devil is forcing him to think sexually impure thoughts about his family members. Interesting. You have no idea how interesting this gets. Carry on. Yeah, I'm gonna. So, um, as his delusions expand and get worse for him, uh, he uses his school knowledge. Like, well, if I don't want to have sexually impure thoughts, sexual thoughts are a huge derivative of testosterone. What can we do to rid the body of testosterone, Jody? Well, you could take a test blocker, say there are medications available, you know, an astrozole or... Or... Well, you could always physically make an intervention. Ding. Oh, really? Yeah. So he successfully castrates himself oh. at home. Ouch. Successfully. The home version. The home version. You know, the DIY. Mm. So He's lucky he didn't bleed to death. There's a lot of vascular. Stay tuned. So he uh, successfully castrates himself. Both testicles gone. Oh, wow. And a couple of days go by. And, you know, this is a postdoc med school student. He, I'm sure he knew what he was doing. Sure. You know, his sutures were probably great. Full and, sterile area. Yeah, I, I'm sure it was great. Uh, but these pervasive sexual thoughts continue a little bit. So he, you know, thinks a little bit. Let me use my medical knowledge. Well, there's still got to be some testosterone somewhere. What else in the body produces a little bit of testosterone? Not much, but just a little. Share with us. Adrenal gland. Ooh. Oh, you know what I'll do? Adrenalectomize myself. That's not a procedure. It was for him. Ouch. So he gets his mirror and his instruments and he lays them out. And this, you know, I'm making some joking comments, but this is a poor person who is very sick all of a sudden. You know, he's got a great career and now he's having these pervasive thoughts and he's rationalizing, castrating himself and to 
adrenalectomize himself. And if you don't know, an adrenalectomy would be the procedure where you remove the adrenal glands, which are attached to the top sides of both kidneys. So he sets up a mirror, makes a sterile field with all of his instruments. I'm going to get a drink of this uh, like 40 proof eggnog to continue the story because it's uh, harrowing. And this poor guy, he's working, looking in a mirror. He has opened his lower back up and he's going to remove the right hand side adrenal gland and he nicks the renal artery. Oh my goodness. The renal artery is the artery that runs straight from the aorta to the kidneys. Yeah. Blood pressure just tanks immediately. Mm -hmm. So he realizes that now I'm in a medical situation that's out of my hands. So he does not call 911. He self-presents to the... um, what is that? The Columbia Presbyterian ER <laughs> over there? I'm sure it's something like that. Yeah. I think Just that's, the nearest hospital is the way I'd I th- phrase it. I think where he presented was his own school. Really? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I have it written down. So I, I typically don't do things for no reason. So it says Columbia Presbyterian ER. So he, he drove to his own school. And when he presented to the ER, the interesting thing is that he didn't say, I'm having these delusional thoughts that are making me remove parts of my body. Actually, he just shows up and he's like, you know, I'm trying to do this uh, adrenalectomy and I'm having trouble. Uh, And he probably looks across the nurse's station counter at colleagues and coworkers and goes, do you think you guys can help me finish the job here? Wow. I'm having a problem. Uh, I nicked an artery. I'm bleeding a whole lot. I need, I need a third hand here. If you could just clamp this off for me so I could get in here and finish. Yes. Just let me finish my work. Well, they were able to stop the bleeding. They did not uh, really feel like taking his uh, adrenal glands out was going to be the path for him. They instead chose a psych hold for him. Maybe. Yeah, he was diagnosed schizophrenic shortly after that. Wow. Can you imagine being able to rationalize up to that point where you're using your, your career skills to open your own lower back? To remove your adrenal gland at home. Maybe well, the office playing in the background. Just hang out. Yeah, these little netbooks going. You know, and that, I think that's something that I wanted to touch on as well is, you know, the schizophrenic disorder, when you get into it, schizophrenia, you begin to, um, you form these delusions. And I guess we define delusions as fixed beliefs that are not true. But you're very convinced and you're very ingrained in this thought process. You own it. You believe it. It's 100% for you. And so when we see patients that begin to develop schizophrenia and go untreated for a while, whether they believe that it's going to pass or it's uh, not that big a deal, they begin this delusionary process. They become very fixated on these ideals that they have, and it becomes difficult to convince them otherwise. It's part of the process. And that, I think that's really when it becomes really dangerous. You know, if you have the girl that watches TV and begins to believe that, you know, it's not rational for me to believe that this TV is talking to me and, and delivering messages that are only meant for me and begins to seek help and treatment and, you know, some, you know, therapeutic medication regimen or uh, CBT or whatever that's going to be and gets treated for that, then maybe the delusion process doesn't become really uh, ingrained and, and hard and it it's not part of the process. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But when you have patients that that encounter these symptoms, they're, they're getting into true, you know, neurochemical imbalance and they're, they're really, really out there. They're really sick, yeah. but they don't get treated and they're, they're trying to cope. You'll see them withdraw. They, you'll see them begin to, uh, follow certain patterns. They'll, uh, th- their thought process is different from everyone else. So they withdraw even harder. They become very isolative and they're sure that they're right. And, um, it becomes super dangerous at that point. Mostly to themselves, but yeah, it's, it's pretty dangerous because you could find yourself trying to cut out your own adrenal glands because that's the right path. That was the most rational path for the student. Right. No one gets it but me. I'm, I get it. I get it. I'm trying to deplete the, he's honestly, the poor guy was just trying to fix the problem. My problem is intrusive thoughts from Satan that are sexually impure about my family. I don't want them to continue. 
I'm going to deplete my testosterone. Let me just nip it in the bud. And the, really, yeah. The literal bud. The the answer was probably, you know, two milligrams of Respiritol BID and not... There's no telling what he got in that ER after they got him closed up. But long-term treatment-wise, you know... um, Can you imagine being that ER nurse that's just working at intake and this guy comes in and he's halfway through an adrenalectomy and his kidneys (laughs) are exposed? Yeah, it's... Sir? Sir, I'm going to need you to fill these out. (laughs) Yeah, very... uh, very measured hold in that instance, yeah. you know, sedation. And of course I don't need your medication. I don't need that. You don't understand what I'm in the middle of doing here and you don't get it. Yeah. If you sedate me, I'm not going to be sharp enough to form this. I'm in my third year of clinical rotations. I know what I'm doing. Right. And you know what? Chances are he knew what he was doing. Oh, I, he I just nicked the renal artery. It's an oops. It's just, it's well, he's working in a mirror behind himself doing his own cutting. Left so is right. Up is down. The best surgeon might have that happen steady hand but you know it's fascinating to me and certainly with no insight into the condition or beginning to have any real appreciation of firsthand delusion like that what it must be like to go through and what 100% believe in what you're doing 100% think that you're right and that no one else gets it Mm -hmm. it's just that's really the nature of schizophrenia and that's why it's so dangerous for the patient and the people that care about them. And it just, it's, it's a winding road that just ends in so many different destinations. Hospitals. Hospitals as well. It's just, there's no other disease like it, you know, and it's, it is a disease. It's, you know, you see these people and they're walking down the street and I'm sure many of you out there, whether you're working inside hospitals or not, have seen the homeless guy, uh, sitting in a parking lot in the very center, you know, sitting Indian style and just talking and carrying on and maybe even arguing. And you're thinking that guy is crazy and you know, you're not wrong. Yeah. For lack of a better word, he is sitting there in a state of being crazed. Right. But you don't, it, it's, it's not that you're cued to help him. In most cases, you know, right. people like us go, Hey, that guy needs some help. And yeah, I should, I should let's go check try it out. figure out how to intervene here. But if you guys saw some guy flop in the airport and have a heart attack, you, whether you know CPR or not, you feel the need to step in and try to do something. Right. And you're touching on this aversion yeah. of like, no, but this guy's not having a heart attack. He's actually just masturbating in the car wash right? at the Chevron. But still, guess what? He needs help too. He needs help. He's yeah. sick. It's not, that's not the guy that, he's not himself. It's not the guy that you would know maybe two or three years ago before he slipped into this or maybe before this disease progressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may have seen him out at Applebee's or still master. You know, I want to pick on Target some more. The Target Deli. Yeah, he was at the deli at Target. <laughs> yeah. Do they have a deli? I've never been to a Target with a deli. No, the nicer Targets have a deli. I haven't been to the good Corn targets. dogs galore. They have pizzas. Corn dogs and pizzas. Lots of popcorn. I say however this whole podcast wraps up, we should go to Target and get a whole mess of pizzas. Right. But, you know, when we, and others, certainly, uh, you guys that are out there working, you drive by these things, you see these things, you know what's going on. But a lot of the public has bystander syndrome. Somebody else will handle it. Bystander syndrome. Well said. Somebody else will figure this out or I hope somebody else that guy's just crazy or that guy's just, you know, whatever you want to fill in the blank with, but they're just, they're just sick individuals. Like you would see with, you know, chronic illness, you know, cancer or diabetes or, you know, anything that's just horrible to endure and they're just living it. And, and like with any disorder, you've got, uh, you know, early exposure and there's a genetic component and there's, you know, fetal environment to take into account. Absolutely. And there's attachment style, blah, blah. But we're just going to hone in on one little bucket of information there. Uh, it's going to be the, um, the hormonal aspect, the brain chemical aspect. Um, I don't know the scales. You know, I'm just a tech. I'm basically useless. Uh, let's say a normal person has a dopamine level of 10 Just hitting a number. Just for the sake of argument, let's say it's 10. What's the dopamine level in universally across across the parts of the brain for a person with schizophrenia? 
Well, you know, that varies. And what, what, what we do see in the dopamine theory states that there's too much serotonin in the brain. And that's causing these, what we call positive symptoms. And positive symptoms are delusion and hallucination. And, you know, there's really four basic uh, symptom subsets. You know, there's positive, there's negative, there's effective, and there's cognitive. And depending upon that particular neighborhood of disorder that you have all that fall within the broad umbrella of schizophrenia, uh, different gene sets are involved, different dopamine levels are involved. But what you'll see is, and, and new research is being done to show that perhaps there is an excess of cortisone and the cortical area. But what we're seeing is that there may be a, and that, and that's causing a lot of the positive symptoms, you know, the hallucination, I see the it clown, I have delusions, I'm, I know the president. But when we see um, cognitive symptoms of not processing properly, not being mm -hmm. able to give, you know, what we might consider a normal answer to a very simple answer or a question, we see an absence of dopamine in, in the prefrontal. Right. So what the theory, the new theory now, and there's several research studies going on that show that perhaps the prefrontal deficiency in, in dopamine is causing an excess create, uh, excretion in the cortical. Right. Excess in the cortical. That's where I was wanting you to make it to. And you made it there. You, you came there all on your own. By the way, with no notes, he did. No notes. Yeah. So, you know, you see in the movies uh, or the television shows, the psych patient comes into the ER and, and then the nurse screams out, we need, and she makes up a number, 50 cc's of whatever. And they jam this needle into this agitated and altered mental status patient and they immediately go to sleep, which, by the way... Does not happen. That's only in the movies. Yeah. I maybe have seen it happen a couple of times with Geodon and Ativan on a catatonic patient. But for the rest of it, no, you're along yeah. for the ride for about another half an hour. But basically <laughs> yeah. what they've done is that they've come in there and they've blocked the, re the dopamine receptors in the brain so they can chill the fuck out. Yeah. Because they're in crisis. And there is another uh, pervasive disorder that... Uh, where you have a, a, not a complete depletion, but a very, very low level of dopamine. And it's a part of the brain called the basal ganglia, but it's a, it's called the substantia nigra. You want to take a guess what that disorder is? Substantia nigra. And that has something to do with a uh, body movement. Oh, is that EPS? Extrapyramidal? Parkinson's. Park. So Absolutely. The Parkinson's Boom. symptoms look like extrapyramidal symptoms. Sometimes when we look at uh, typical, you know, the old Thorazine, the old Haldol, we've all had patients that have come in that have been on the typicals for a long period of time that have EPS that's uncontrolled. And a lot of times when we have patients that experience those EPS symptoms, extrapyramidal, uh, they're treatable with, you know, drugs like Cugentin, and sometimes we'll give Benadryl with Haldol. That's pretty common. But a lot of times these symptoms, once they begin, they don't go away. They may, no. they may decrease a little bit, but they're never absent. So what we started to learn long time ago, maybe half a century, is that uh, we started to give this very old school drug, and this should date it, uh, to Parkinson's patients who are having a depletion in the uh, substantia nigra in their brain of dopamine we used to give them l dopa yep remember that yep right and what did we learn from that what we learned from giving these parkinson's patients l dopa is that while the rest of the parts of the brain had a average level of dopamine and the substantia nigra in the basal ganglia had a very low amount when we started to give them l dopa it raised the dopamine that was deficit in the substantia nigra. But whoops, we also raised the level of dopamine in every other Globally. parts of the brain. Right. So what did you accidentally create? Psychosis. Psychosis. Yep. And what that is medically tantamount to is 
dropping a hydrogen bomb on Staten Island because you want to get rid of the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> Bring the motherfucking ruckus. So, uh, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan was eradicated, however. They're still around. I know, I'm just saying, you know, from the... Uh, the eradication process oh, well, that yeah. you're talking That's about. True. We got rid of the Wu-Tang Clan, but now we have a substantially larger problem. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have Method Man and Red Man doing their own thing. Their own thing. Yeah. yeah. By themselves. Old Dirty Bastard has overdosed. And so you see that uh, patients with that, that uh, condition all of a sudden would change. But if you have to look at overall functionality, we didn't really have an improvement. And maybe sometimes we have even a degradation in the way that they're able to process information and, and actually uh, be involved with peers. Right. And, you know, the integration of those people back with their families is very difficult. Where We knew what they were and where they were before. With Omniel Dopa, they were significantly changed and not always in a positive way. Yes, they were. And now they are a functioning member of the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> Protect your neck, Jody. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a positive change. <laughs> it depends on how you feel in the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah, I listened to a lot of the Wu yesterday. Did actually. you really? Yeah, I really did. I was driving down the road, uh, down I-30, headed towards uh, or I-35, headed towards South Texas. Listen to a bunch of the Wu. I'm gonna excuse it. I feel I feel good about it, and okay. I didn't have any L dopa. I feel okay that you can talk to other people about it. I mean, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't appreciate the Wu Tang Clan, uh, uh, you can get out the fucking face. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you feel so strongly about it. Hey, it's the Wu. The Wu. So I guess, uh, and one thing I did want to touch on is, you know, in schizophrenia, when you're looking at these patients, and it's just such a a broad spectrum of symptoms. Um. So. That first set of symptoms, which I think we're all pretty familiar with, is mm-hmm. positive symptoms. Right. There's a set of negative symptoms, which you would, if you understand the first set of symptoms, you would certainly understand the second set, which are negative. Mm-hmm. And those are symptoms where you'll see patients begin to withdraw and isolate. Uh, it's negative. Cata- catatonize? Is that the... Uh, Become catatonic. We'll just go with that. It it may appear as catatonic, but not truly catatonic in the sense that they're unresponsive. They will try to decrease their stimuli, but generally they're encountering such invasive internal stimuli that they just can't deal with anything else. So they don't. They simply don't because they can't. And a lot of times, a lot of those, you know, as we discussed before, those uh, internal stimuli are very degrading. They're right. very menacing. They're, They're not kind to you. It's not astro creep. No, it's horrible. It's it's horrible. Mm-hmm. So the next set of symptoms we'll talk about are effective. And those will begin to uh, present as just really wild mood lability. We'll be up, we'll be down, we'll be screaming in the milieu, we'll be singing hallelujah, we'll be all over the place, and we'll be thanking you for the chocolate milk and then throwing at you, I mean, 10 seconds later. You never know. You never know what you're going to get with that chocolate milk. I literally had a patient the other day that, uh, and he's going through this right now, he's an older gentleman, been homeless for a while, and he's so labile that I think within the same 60 second period, he asked me for something. In a gruff manner, I gave it to him. He was very appreciative. He talked to me about his mother. We shook hands and then said, fuck you. He's I, talking about me, guys. Less than a minute. I mean, he was just so... All over the board, huh? All over the board. Just and, swinging the pendulum. And just all day, all day like that. I mean, approachable at times, and you could sit and get him focused on something in a conversation. And even during what you really felt was, you know, if you focus on certain very specific items, you know, like, what do you like to do? Um, do you remember this period of your life? Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your family. What do you like to do? He was still swing in and out of it very wildly. Can you imagine how exhausting that must be? Cause as a, as a, I'm not going to say that I'm a high functioning person, you know, I've got my problems, but you know, to get angry for a little while, when you're angry at something, it takes a whole lot of calories that you're going to spend yeah. Yeah. to be angry. But can you imagine what the caloric expenditure is for somebody that goes into a rage 
every 90 seconds. And, you know, it was mirrored in this guy perfectly because his BMI was probably, I don't know, just eyeballing him 18, 19, very low. Oh, wow. Yeah, very low. He's a praying mantis. But, I mean, constant, just a live wire. So you just have to imagine. It's exhausting. And you wonder why they sleep 14 hours a night. This guy really wasn't sleeping that much. And when he does, it was broken. You know, it's, and it just adds to the overall symptomology. Right. Um, I like that guy. He's, I don't know. We'll see how his medications do. We're kind of early in on it. Oh, you're still working on him. I'm still working with this guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, uh, you guys know it's a process. So we'll, we'll he has, he has history. Um, just he's, he's in that last 30%. No, you don't know this guy. guy. But he's in that last 30%. where We're talking about chronic, um, neural tissue loss. I mean, if you look at a CT, I would love to see, you know, him in his twenties, a good CT of that. You know what I'd also like to see? A, a qualitative EEG. Oh, because this guy's probably just lighting up all over the place. Like a like a fucking Christmas tree. Like a Christmas like tree. Like Jody's front yard right now. <laughs> don't don't back in my front yard. It's <laughs> it's the season. So and I guess the last very last symptom seven set. So we've done positive, negative, mm-hmm. um, affective, affective. Now we're gonna do cognitive. And that cognitive sub, uh, symptom subset is where we are just unable to reason, where we cannot respond appropriately to uh, basic questions, although sometimes they will be savant at certain items and really be able to carry on and, and um, isolate out on one thing that they're familiar with or something that they've um, kind of targeted before. But overall, if you try to enter into any type of a conversation with them, they're unable to really participate. They can't respond effectively or appropriately. Because they're so busy already responding to the things that are going on inside them, they may not even hear you. Yeah, but, you know, honestly, we see that cognitive dysfunction in the really chronic patients that have, it's a a late stage thing. We've Mm -hmm. been experiencing this for a while. So when we, when we look at, like I say, I would love to see the CT scan on the patient we were just discussing, uh, 20 years ago and look at where we're at now, you would definitely see a huge deficit in, in the gray matter. You would begin to see these ventricles enlarged and increased. Um, so he's up there in age then, huh? Yeah. He's probably, uh, early sixties. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's been around for a while. Been, you know, same. How tired he must be. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he's even, you know, got that, uh, I'm not going to say it's EPS, but he's got a speech disorder, um, which you see sometimes with that, uh, very chronic patients where yeah, with the gray matter depletion, you're going to yeah, see, it's hard to understand. Like There's that, some, yeah. you know, some, uh, definite symptomology there to where you don't really, if the first time you meet the guy, I had some nursing students in with him the other day and they're like, I don't get it. I don't understand anything you're saying. And, you know, until you've had a few of those patients and you've actually got with them in their cadence and, you know, kind of where they're at for the first day, I wasn't really following them either. Day three, I'm in on that. You're speaking his language, <laughs> Yeah, I'm baby. talking his talk, you know, we're just talking about everything. And the average person that walks up, you know, somebody coming up from, you know, utilization or therapy and they're like, I just, I don't have no idea what he's saying. It's because you got to hang out, man. You got to hang out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to get where they're at and meet them there and just, you know just some of that therapy that you know whether it's effective or not it's meaningful them at least in the moment you know whether they'll remember it tomorrow you know that when you're connecting with that person that it's really genuine right and that there's some large effort being made on their part to even participate and if you and if you've been able to punch through and connect just imagine the things that you had to punch through to be able to reach them as a person and yeah. to be able to hear you that's my god it, Dude, that's what I'm, that's what I do. That's what I'm in this for Mm -hmm. is to be able to take those patients that everyone says, that's that guy right there. That guy is just cussing me out. He's been a problem all day. That guy's a fucking dick. Oh, hold on. Hold on. on. Let me challenge accepted. Yeah. (laughs) Let me step in. And I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm always able to connect with those really difficult patients because I'll just take them to the side and just, I'll just try to meet them where they're at. The more psychotic, the better. That's what I'm most therapeutic with. Like really? The, the further away from reality you are, yeah. the easier it is for me to meet you. Yeah, I, I, don't I know. get that. You know, some people are great with, you know, chemical dependency issues and 
borderline personality disorder. Like me and you both, you give me the the nut job, I got it. Show me your sickest patient. Just I got it. Out. Yep. Yeah. Give me your catatonic. You, you know, and not always, but it's. I almost feel like I've lost, or like I, I'm just not doing something right. And I certainly have been around long enough to figure out that. There are some patients you are just not going to connect with. It's just not going to happen. They are yeah. not on a level to where they can identify with anything or be able to connect on any level to where you feel like you're really there with them. But, you know, it's just inevitable after being on the unit for a few days and, and forming some association with them that they're not mad that they saw you when they woke up. You know what I'm saying? It's the little things, man. It really is. Yeah. So listen, I hope that we've um, we've opened this up a little bit for you guys and shared a little bit about schizophrenia. There's still so much more. We didn't get into medications. We didn't get into really catatonia or word salad. Oh, we'll dude, come back to word salad. Yeah, schizophrenia is going to be... We're going to have the whole thing with Caesar dressing and chicken and everything. <laughs> it's going to be good. You know what's actually in Caesar dressing? You know what the, the key ingredient is? I don't know anything about salad. I hate it's, salad. It's anchovies. Really? Yeah, I, I didn't even know. You, you know. gave me another reason to hate salad. No, I love it. It's just lettuce is bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it depends on the lettuce. It doesn't. But again, thank you guys for listening. That We're really, really just shocked by the response that we're having and the amount of listeners that we've looked at from episode one to episode, I guess this is only five now. And it's just incredible how many people are listening. I thought we've been doing this for like 11 years already. <laughs> yeah. Your time association is very poor. Yeah, it's it's, it's alert oriented poor. time, stupid. Yeah, you're like, isn't this number 101 episode? Yeah. No. Uh, episode uh, he, five. What he's not telling you is I don't have any pants on right now. Do you never wear pants? It's hot. But for you guys out there that may be experiencing some of this uh, difficulty and you're looking at making what may end up being a very permanent and and bad choice, I want you to consider giving these guys a call because they'll listen to every single word you have to say. It's the National Suicide Hotline. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. It's a bunch of really great folks. They'll pick up on the first ring and they really, really are interested in trying to get you some help and they can give you some great direction and maybe some insight that you haven't considered yet. They're not just trying to get you locked up somewhere. They're trying to get you better. And better is where where everyone deserves to be. It's we could all just, be better. Today is today, but it doesn't mean that today is tomorrow. And mm-hmm. you need to need to really consider what may happen and the decision that you make today is very, very permanent. So please just reach out. There's nothing to lose. And these guys are great at it. This is what they specialize in. They've heard it all before and they really are great at it. And they want to hear what you have to say. 1-800-273-8255. Give them a call. Please do. And in the meantime, we'll be back at you again next week with some other ridiculous esoteric topic. Is it going to get real sciencey again? We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we may we may touch on this again. There's so much more. But I'll tell you what, until then, have some Pantera. <laughs>